every time my door closes, and it certainly did for many, many floor traders, doors opened, and and I got a big door that opened for me, and I'm you know just I'm not lost. Uh, this is, I'm not lost in the idea that everybody had such a, a trajectory after the floor closed because there's a lot of sad stories from traders who didn't make the, the change. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Interactive Brokers Traders Insight Radio. I'm your host, Steve Sosnick, Chief Strategist here at Interactive Brokers. My guest today is someone I've known for over 20 years, Catherine Clay. I'm going to call her Kathy because I've known her for a, for a long time. Um, she is an EVP at the CBO, the Chicago Exchange. And um, she and I have a lot to talk about. Um, she has one of the most interesting career trajectories um, from being sort of the person on the other end of the phone with me many, many years ago uh, to being one of the um, most senior executives at, at, at a major exchange and, and in a business where there's not enough gender equality necessarily. She is one of the top female executives um, on Wall Street. And I'm proud to say that I knew her back when. Um, so Kathy, why don't you just say hello and give yourself a quick intro? Thanks, Steve. That's uh, that's quite an intro, and I can just say so glad uh, to be with you today on this uh, radio show because it has been many, many years since we first got acquainted. My very first job out of graduate school, uh, and it's just so nice to be back talking with you today. Well, I, I'm not asking you what the what the latest ten lot is trading in Netscape, which was probably like one of our early <laughs> early discussions. You know, that was the big that was the big that was the big stock back in the day, and I think I'm going to come around to that later because you know Netscape I think is to the internet what what you know some of the crypto some of the inter- cryptocurrencies are to the blockchain, but we'll 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 get into that later potentially. So tell us a little bit about your trajectory. Um, you know, we I may interject basically the parts that I that I was you know that are parts that I was a, a supporting player in, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. So you know, I was uh, right out of graduate school, and uh, my sister was working on the San Francisco Options Exchange, uh, and she said to me, "Before you get a job, now that you're done with school, you need to come out here and see what happens on this trading floor." So I drove out there from Boulder, Colorado to San Francisco, walked onto the trading floor, saw all this yelling, screaming. You know what it's like, Steve. Of course. Paper flying, lunches all over the floor, just a disaster. No idea what was happening, but the energy of the floor, it just captivated me. And in that very moment, I said, I don't know what this is, but I need to learn how to do it. And I started interviewing with firms on the floor, AB and AMRO, you name it. You know the old names, uh, Blair Hole. Uh, but Timber Hill, uh, the market making firm mm-hmm. uh, of interactive brokers, was on the floor at the time. Just recently had put an operation from the SIBO team onto the San Francisco floor under David Eglett, who I believe is still at interactive brokers he, today. He, 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 is, he is. And spoiler alert, he's actually a future podcast. So we, we, I figure we've got the uh, <laughs> we sort of we'll sort of have that little loop closed oh, in good. a moment but Let's yes make this so hard he can't follow it absolutely so that's, that's good to know 
Uh, and so, you know, Dave was building this team uh, out on the on the San Francisco Exchange, which is now called the NYSE ARCA yes. Options Exchange in San Francisco. And I started just like most of Driven as Traders started as a clerk getting lunch for traders and, and learning the business, you know, through the traders' eyes. And then eventually became a new market maker myself and, of course, talked to you many, many times on the phone, <laughs> learning what the heck I was doing and how you were looking at risk. We called what you were on the bridge, yep. which was the risk desk that really ran the show for the entire market making opportunity. And, you know, I always say this when I talk about my career trajectory is that I don't think it would have been what it has been if I hadn't started under Thomas Petterfee's tutelage. And you'll know what I mean. Uh, when I say Thomas was unique in many ways, but the way he was most helpful to me was instilling at a very early age that technology would change everything in the markets and that we should embrace it. And in fact, it did. But having that early exposure to the importance of using emerging technologies uh, in trading and in whatever business you're in couldn't have been more um, helpful to me. And so that uh, moved into becoming my own uh, market maker or having my own trading firm, developing my own risk software, ultimately working on the Live All Derivatives Analytics product that was acquired in 2015 by SIBO. And that's how I made my way to SIBO. And at the time, SIBO had no data and analytics arm whatsoever. And so in 2015, with that acquisition, we began to acquire other companies and build out what is now a very thriving business uh, here at SIBO. And I couldn't be happier uh, than to have done that here. Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to skip to the end and say that I, I you know, I'm a consumer of some of the SIBO's products. I definitely I definitely have interacted with many of the members on your team, you know, just exchanging ideas over the years. And and um, I think it's remarkable that you, you know, basically took nothing and and ran with it. And it's now it's now a very important piece of the business. Going back to the early days, you know, on the floor, it was kind of wild because, you know, we, we we don't I look back at it now and it doesn't seem like high, you know, high tech. You know, you were out there like basically like, you know, like a Sherpa, you know, with with the, with the with the handhelds, which were these, I guess, sort of, the you know, three generations prior to a to an iPad, you know, where you, you know, it was like a touch screen and you would bring up. Well, you could explain it better than me, because quite frankly, you you interacted with the touch screens much more than I did. <laughs> I did, you know, we had two kinds of touch screens. We had the, the monitors, like a PC yes. monitor, that was a touch screen, but also those of us when we were standing in the pits, we had a handheld, which is which was like a heavy Mac. I mean, it, it was like a heavy tablet yeah. at the time, but they all had radio control devices so that the, 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 the communications could be transmitted wirelessly. And, and I just remember, it was so new technology. Yeah, it doesn't seem cutting edge today, but there were people in the pits that were so afraid that they were going to get radioactive poisoning from the antennas <laughs> that they would bring in like Geiger counters and other sort of mechanisms and say, keep your laptop uh, away from me. Like it's going to poison me. <laughs> That's hysterical. I mean, it, it's but it, it was a huge deal because at that point, you know, you you were out there with prices that we were that we were sending you continually and and taking your feedback when you would. You know, you'd have you'd have the prices. Someone would you know call out a market. You'd you'd price it up and and participate in the trade. You'd then enter the trade, which would come back up to the bridge, as we called, as you mentioned. You know, come up to Greenwich, and we would essentially be repricing everything continuously. And so you'd always have continuous quotes. 
And at the point you started, there were still plenty of people with sheets and, you know, having to guess the deltas. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and not only that, you're, I mean, you're talking about this dynamic feedback loop between trading risk, trading risk, dynamic yeah. versus everyone else in the pit was, hey, run me sheets and center it at this stock price. And then you would get the Black-Scholes model or whatever model you were using for your theoretical values and Greeks across the spectrum of the products you were trading while we were seeing where the spooze was going maybe just a little bit faster and we were actually being able to hedge risk in real time. What we actually did, I don't know if you I don't know if you realize it because you were because you were on you know on the coast. We had a guy in Chicago who was literally just like ticking up and down. Like, you know, he'd start the day and and it was a few different people because you couldn't do it, you know, for the entire trading day. But you know, he would just tick, continually tick up and down the price of the futures. And so as, you know, if it went up five ticks, he'd tick one, two, three, four, five. I'm doing this visually. No one can see what I'm doing. But he'd go one, two, three, four, five, go down three ticks. And this is how, and that was what drove the prices. And we, you know, that and the, that and the, um, the trades that we would be getting back, it was a little easier in the sense that most things were not interlisted in those days. So if you did, if you did a trade in one of your products, there, there, there wasn't, it was more or less just you. It wasn't, it wasn't as many, you know, it wasn't, you know, across, you know, 15 exchanges. It was, you know, it was, everything was, not everything, many things were single listed. The most interesting products were. Oh yeah, for the longest time. I remember on, on our exchange, we had Microsoft, Micron, AOL, Compact Computers, Sun Microsystems, you know, a lot of the things that you would associate with Silicon Valley were on the peak coast, not surprisingly, yeah. but of course in, you know, in SIBO, you had Intel and IBM and Coke and all of those names, yeah. names we'd be really jealous that we didn't get to yeah. get to trade. But uh, that changed, didn't it? It did. Well, I, I did actually I did actually bring this up on another podcast. You have actually the system actually has Thomas and I to blame for that one. And and, and one of our specialists on, on the Philex. And it was because Ford was a was a SIBO stock that was single listed on the SIBO, we were the specialist in a company called Visteon, which was a um, small auto parts manufacturer that Ford acquired. Typically what you would, typically what would happen would be, you know, you'd, you'd trade, because if you were trading Visteon and they got taken over for, for stock, you would, they would trade the residual Visteon options, which were sort of, you know, this weird multiplier of Ford. But, you know, the gentleman's agreement was you didn't, you didn't take Ford. And someone at the Philex messed up and sent the allocation sheet down. Do you want to trade Ford? Be you know, and you guys get first dibs because you're trading Visteon. And I said, yes, jumped on it and then realized, oh, wait, I may have made a horrible mistake here. So I went into Thomas's office and said, you know, by the way, I think I just, you know, started a war here. And he's like, that ah, was going to happen anyway. Go ahead. You know, it's, it was inevitable. Just do it. And that's now literally, that, that's that literally how the dam broke. Yeah. That fact is missing from the history books of the multi-list yeah. options. <laughs> so it was literally just like a series of errors. And then ultimately the decision maker who said, yeah, you know what? This was going to this was going to happen no matter what. So that was that was how that, that was, was the shot across the bow. That was the shot across the bow. And then, you know, then then everybody then I think immediately the SIBO listed Dell, which was the biggest Philex name and, and you know, and then it was a free for all. Now, so you tr you were down there successfully, Dave Eglett, then, then you know, who had been running this, the, the Pacific, uh, the P Coast, um, left, you know, left the exchange, moved back to Chicago, then sort of, you know, worked here up in Greenwich for a while. He's back in Greenwich. Um, 
you were running the exchange, but then to a certain extent, you were almost a, a victim of 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 the you know of the electronic nature of the markets because we were going fully electronic as was you know as was what was then you know Arca, um, and and it definitely was it had to have been a challenge for you because I you know you were sort of made redundant. I hate to say it, but you were kind of made redundant. Obviously, you've you've bounced back quite quite well from that. Oh yeah, I mean it, it <laughs> but, was it was you know I hung on for a while after leaving. You know, when when Timber Hill was pulling all traders yeah. off the floor, I did have the offer to come join you in Greenwich, uh, which, you know, who would who, you know, we could be working together today. Absolutely. See? But I decided to take the riskier path and just start my own market making company and was down there for, believe it or not, till 2010. I was still on the floor making markets as a sole proprietor. So, you know, it was a long in the tooth career, but thank goodness I really did get involved in software development and figuring out how all of that worked and then got involved with Livewall first as their chief strategy officer and then as their CEO uh, and then subsequently got acquired by SIBO. So, you know, it all worked out great. And, you know, every time a door closes, and it certainly did for many, many floor traders, doors opened and and I got a big door that opened for me and I'm, you know, just I'm not lost uh this is, I'm not lost in the idea that everybody had such a, a trajectory after the floor closed because there's a lot of sad stories from traders who didn't make the the change. Yeah, you, and it's interesting because I've I've interviewed a couple of other traders who did make the change, you know, from various exchanges, and 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 I guess you know as I say, history is written by the winners, I suppose. But um, you know, and you're one of the winners. Um, but I, it is interesting, you know, some of the people just you know were were some of the people were born to be good floor traders. And not necessarily able to translate that skill set off the floor. Other people, I, I do always think that the best floor traders, or at least the ones who worked best in our system, many of them did actually go on to very, you know, to, to very good careers um, elsewhere, or you know, or work here in in other roles. Uh, you know, we did start to bring a lot of them up. You were one, yeah. you, you were you were one of the few who said no. <laughs> it's, Again, I don't know why. Again, I, I was so I was so you know smitten with San Francisco and the just the lifestyle there's outdoors. I surfed almost every day after the market <laughs> closed. I, I couldn't imagine giving that up. And I knew the hours you were working yeah. on the bridge. I thought I don't know how am I going to snowboard? When am I going to surf if I go do that? So that was really the, the decision maker for me. How's the surfing on Lake Michigan? <laughs> I hear it does exist. I have yet to witness it. Okay, fair enough. So, um, so now tell me about, you know, tell me about the lot, you know, how the Livol product evolved and, and, and how, and how that, you know, more or less became in a bigger way, your role, your role at the SIBO. So the Livol product was really, there was a couple floor traders on the P coast that were trying to develop analytics for their own trading firm. And you have to think back way back to the time when there wasn't a really good measure of implied volatility over any set duration. Yes. tracked over history and, and all of that. So it was actually pretty cutting edge in terms of what they were developing for their own trading. And the, the, the fellow traders around them were very enamored with what they were building. And so we became early investors. Most of the four traders were investors in the product and we continued to develop it and develop it. Um, and then we kept you know, getting calls from like the Fidelities and the Schwabs of the world asking, hey, how are you doing these analytics? And you know, maybe you could help us and it became a business. 
And then ultimately, you know, I think Siebel came to the recognition that they had way too much revenue concentration in the proprietary products, SPX and VIX. Mm -hmm. They really needed to think about what is their growth trajectory in the future. And uh, it was pretty clear that they needed to start diversifying into non-transactional revenue sources. Plus, you got to think about the tools and the analytics, the data that help actually foster transactions into our tradable markets. Uh, whether it's portfolio risk, margin risk, getting to an actionable step in a trading workflow easier, that all facilitates back into the exchange business. So it just made sense to align the businesses and start start the group here at SIBO. So we've done that pretty and, aggressively. And how have you since expanded it? Because it's it's well beyond it's well beyond what you what you brought via LiveVol, and and I, I I believe you're responsible for a lot of that expansion. So, yeah, so, I mean, the original LiveVol acquisition brought an analytics platform and it also brought uh, a data shop, which is our e-commerce answer for historical data. You can remember how difficult it was to send anybody historical data. Now it's like shopping on Amazon. You just go to your cart, you put your incremented data in, you run a job and you have your data pretty much instantaneously. So that's what, that was the foundation that, that LiveVol brought. And then we acquired Silex, which is an OEMS front-end platform in 2017. Okay. And then in 2020, right before the pandemic, we acquired three companies, which I will tell you I will never do again. <laughs> three at once, never. Three at once in front of a pandemic, that's ridiculous. But we acquired Hanwick, uh, very well known for their fitted vol surfaces and, and vols and yes. Greeks and, and great modeling. Uh, FT Options, great portfolio risk IP. And Trade Alert, uh, very heavily used on the sell side desks for market color, aggregated market statistics. So we brought that company in. Uh, and then we combined all of our analytics with our index business, which has really never been an index business, more of an educational tool to help people understand how to systematize trading strategies into our proprietary products, but we're turning it into a business. And then we combined it finally with the real-time market data business at SIBO. And so bringing all of these groups together, creating a single technology platform for much of the, the group, uh, creating a single source of truth for all of our options analytics uh, has really allowed us to scale in a very profound way. And then when you couple that with our exchange expansion up in Canada, you know, we just bought MatchNow and Neo. Uh, in Australia, we bought ChaiX Australia. In Japan, we bought ChaiX Japan. Mm -hmm. And so you can see as we spread across as the world's largest ex securities exchange network, the analytics and data that go with that expansion are just hand in hand. And we'll just repeat the same playbook in every geographic region in the world, plus all the asset classes we've moved into, which most recently is digital assets through our acquisition of ErisX. Oh, that that was that. Well, now the timing of that is very auspicious because that brings us back to one of the things we talked about earlier. Um, do, how do you view crypto as falling into you know the the more traditional I was going to say traditional exchange space, but really SIBO SIBO was born out of the derivatives markets. You you've since acquired you know traditional equities businesses. Um, I will say at which at which I did have a role in closing one of I was on the board of the CB, CBSX if you can remember that one. Yes, um, I do remember. Yeah, so I'm one of the few people who's actually closed an exchange. Um, but that was, but that was Nicely done. Yeah, um, it needed it needed to be done, but it was, it but it was, it, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird situation. I understand. For those of you who don't know the history, CBC, the various options exchanges had stock exchanges because they, they, you know, if you were doing a buy right, they didn't want the, they didn't, they didn't want to lose the stock transaction portion of it. But um, 
the way it was organized, for, it was actually a very big liability for SIBO, the way it was organized. Then you went out and bought that, which was a whole different um, ball game. But at the time, it was it was a lot of liability and not much revenue. Um, and so I- Sounds like a bad trade, yeah. It was a bad trade. So I, I do understand why we, and we, we'd also acquired, before I joined the board, that acquired NSX, which was sort of Madoff's exchange, which had its- yeah, you're. Uh, it's you're, on reputational you're, issues, maybe. Yeah, so that so there was the <laughs> compliance costs were enormous, right. and so I understand why they did it. That merger made much more sense, um, but I, I digress. Um, but but anyway, so tell me how you see the crypt, you know, the, the crypto fitting in with with the, the 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 equity and derivatives product mix that you have. Yeah, I mean, you know, we really like to start our our you know product portfolio with cash equities and then we typically list derivatives on top of that and that's really the game plan and if we do it inorganically organically SIBO is after all a derivatives exchange and uh while we've grown tremendously into fx and you know, grown our equities business we really land on derivatives and we did release european derivative contracts last september uh created off our own indices, not partnered with any uh, partner. And uh, so we do it organically and inorganically. But um, global expansion, expansion of asset classes, they all make sense to us. It's not a huge deviation from, I think, what we do on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Certainly, the digital asset space has its own nuances, and it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot to learn because there are differences. But if we circle back to where we started this conversation about, you know, the the dot-com era yep. and the subsequent bust, you can certainly draw some parallels between what happened then and what's happening now in, in crypto. But but we just believe that without, you know, the regulatory clarity that we need, mm -hmm. uh, without getting some of the speculation out, without getting rid of some of the protocols and projects that just need to be getting rid of, we won't really see uh, the growth in the industry that we're that we want, and we 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 will think uh, we do think that we're going to get the the regulatory clarity, and ambiguity will be squeezed out. And just like after the dot com bust, a lot of those companies didn't survive, but there were many that did, and they actually fuel a lot of our economy today. You mentioned the analogies with the dot com era, um, you know, and which is when we met, of course, but um, but basically. Uh, there's so many parallels. You have, you know, the, the most important, as you mentioned, the most important internet companies didn't exist during the dot-com era. The ones that drove the dot-com era, the original one, were Netscape, AOL. You know, these companies are, if they exist, they're shadows of themselves. Um, so I, I, I think by, I think, I understand your strategy completely, which is hoping, hoping and working toward regulatory clarity, um, because. What we're seeing now, what we've seen in some of the recent blowups, um, that's the direct result of a lack of regulatory clarity or of a lack of regulation. You know, deregula deregulation works, lack, I shouldn't say deregulation, lack of regulation works great until it doesn't. Right, but if you think back to the dot-com era, I mean, these were securities, publicly traded, listed on exchanges, and a lot of people lost a lot of money in that bust of the dot-com stocks. A lot of people made a lot of money on the, the way up yeah. and lost on the way down, and that's a regulated market. So we will get regulate, regulation clarity eventually in this space. And I think these incidents like Celsius more recently uh, is going to actually just add fuel to the fire, put uh, some heat on the, on the feet of the regulators to get some of this ambiguity out of the marketplace. But I think at the end of the day, 
we will see companies come out of, of what's happening today, protocols that will survive, and many more that, that will not. But it will fuel the future uh, growth of, of our business, whether it's you know decentralized social media, whatever the forward look is going to be, it's not going to be what it was. Well, I, I, and, and I agree with that completely because I, I just, you know, I think the idea of recreating, you know, 18th century colonial banks that, you know, you know, which, you know, which issued their own currency and, and then vanished sometimes just doing it, just doing it on a bigger scale is not is not wise. On the other hand, you know, we, we ended up getting the FDIC and SIPC. And and yes, as you recognize, you know, we haven't outlawed volatility. We haven't you know, for better or worse, people still make and lose money. Um, and I don't think that ever should go away. And I think that it would be, you know, people should take advantage of the products that, shall we say, a certain certain organizations offer that help some people manage risk, um, you know, but uh, but definitely uh, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting evolution. Um, and it's so I'm curious to see how you how you handle that going forward. Does it do you really see do you see this blending into your mix of products over time? Just, you know, one I do. I do. But we're you know, we're SIBO. We're highly regulated. We're going to take a very thoughtful path towards digital assets. Just the fact that the acquisition we made in the space is Erisex. It's not widely known. It's not an FTX or Binance by any stretch. But but Erisex was built with a regulatory framework market in mind. So everything done from the ground up at Erisex is to comply with what we think the future regulatory regime will look like. And so we think it will be a competitive differentiator for us to have a digital asset exchange clearing and custody solution that is very comfortable with the regulators looking inside, fully transparent about what we're doing there. And we hope it will give the end investor a lot of confidence that the markets are high integrity in the digital asset space. And by the way, if we circle back to like the dot com, uh, you hear the same sort of things. You hear people say, well, I don't even know how to value this. How do I how do I value? I, I, I don't even know what it's worth. But, you know, for a fact, because we were on the phone during the dot com <laughs> era when it came, a broker would come into the cloud, whether it was Netscape or DoubleClick or AOL. And they would ask to make a market. Right. And I, and let's say I gave a market like oh, those calls are you know, the Feb 100 calls are three bid at three and a half, and they would say sold at three, what's your market out? And <laughs> then I'm like, oh my gosh. And we would absolutely invert the market just to get yeah. those back and de-scalp ourselves sometimes. So there was no knowing what those companies were yeah. worth. Either. Oh, absolutely. Because what, you know, we were so risk averse sometimes because the vols were so high in those. So, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm spilling any secrets all these years later, our, our model was essentially um, you know, there, there was a there was a risk component that was based on volatility, and the vols were so high, um, we didn't take a ton of risk. And so, if you, so if you bought a big slug of you know one of those highly volatile names, it, it would blow up the models. And you know, Steve, you bought, it wasn't you, even a big slug. Oh, no, know, no, no, it wasn't was like, even a big slug. And I was just you you beat me to it. A big slug could have been a twenty five lot actually. You know, we, it was and those and those you know we were ten up and and I remember. I remember being on the phone with you and with Eglick back in the early days when we listed Netscape because the falls were so high, and I don't and we were specialists. I don't think we could do a ten lot without without basically going bid to offer, bid to offer, or or worse. Bid through offer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, offer through bid. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. So I just laugh when I hear people say, "I'm not gonna, I don't trust cryptocurrencies because I don't know how to value." I'm like, and neither did we in the dot com. How are you going to value a Netscape? That that's yeah. what's the value of that? You know. Um, 
but but it will the 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 speculators will get sort of flushed out for a while we might have a crypto winter here but this will survive in some way shape or form and there will be winners and maybe they're not out in the market yet but they're they're coming well, the one other comment I'd heard is, you know, one of the bank executives made the comment that all, you know, all money will be digital. And I'm going to argue all money already is digital. You know, the, the vast majority, except for the cash in your wallet, stock, stocks are digital. You know, th yeah, there's probably a few, there's probably a few, you know, stock certificates floating around in people's safe deposit boxes. But stocks are digital. Options are, options are completely digital. Most money, tra you know, the vast majority of money that moves from place to place is digital. Why wouldn't blockchain be an ad adaptation of that? I, I completely, I, I'm not the guy to say what that adaptation is, but if you're going to say that it's all, if you're going to say that we're, we, we're going to put all this, all this stuff in a, in a ledger that, you know, that, that continually grows and, and whether it's decentralized or whether it's semi-decentralized, it's a protocol, it's a protocol for organizing all this digitalization. And I, I would be optimistic that a, that a, you know that an exchange that's already doing something like that would 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 be able to figure out how to take the next step. Yeah, I mean that is part of it too. Is that there there is this idea that we have to continue to grow. Innovators dilemma. You don't just stop doing what you've done well all these years and not pay attention to some of the emerging technologies that blockchain and different kinds of blockchain bring to the conversation. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. You know, you are known around the street now as one of the top female exchange executives. Please, you know, I can't even get in your shoes in that regard. You know, so, so tell tell the listeners, prob most many of whom are, are you know, are middle-aged dudes like me or younger, um, <laughs> what it's like, you know, the challenges that you faced um, and, and how you, in getting to where you are and the stuff that you, that you may, may still see on a daily basis. So, I, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate that I feel very at home in a male-dominated environment. Um, I think maybe because even though I didn't have brothers, I had two sisters growing up, I played sports at a very very early age, whether it was Little League or pickup basketball games or, you know, I was just very comfortable uh, in that environment. And I'm very just competitive because of being an athlete. So stepping on a trading floor where there might have been, I think, 550 members at that mm -hmm. time, about 12 uh, were women. Uh, I was one of those. So for me, um, it's it's been very comfortable, and I feel very at home in the environment that I've been, you know, in and exposed to and blessed to be in. But I do recognize that not all women feel that way, and so I can tell you that um, women today still do suffer from unconscious bias. Uh, in meetings and in in settings, and I see it, and I try to call it out, and. The difference is, is that my male colleagues seem to also be caring more about that phenomenon and helping to fix that phenomenon. So there's more work to do. Uh, there's not enough senior. The fact that I get called out for being a senior executive in the financial space, I really hope for the day where that my gender is not even mentioned, you know, in these conversations because it's just so pervasive. Uh, we're not there. So there's more wood, you know, wood to chop. If it's notable for me to mention it, it shouldn't be notable for me to mention it. You should just be EVP at the SIBO, not one of the top female exchange people around. It's a, it's yeah. Hopefully we, you know, hopefully we can get past all, you know, all the labels. But it's it's. I, I will say it's light years better than it was when we started. So um, it is. It's improving. You know, I feel like a, you know, the progress is never fast enough when you're trying to see true progress. But 
we have to acknowledge the progress that has been made, and we have to continue to do the things that get us better in the DEI space in general. It's not just women; it's just it's people of color and other diverse hires that we really need to be thinking about in our organizations. And I am a true believer that stronger companies have a more diverse makeup uh, and different opinions, different ways of thinking uh, are much better for a company's performance. And I believe there are, if you're a Jeopardy champion, <laughs> so you should be able to cite. <laughs> now everybody's going to be Googling that. Some, <laughs> some specific uh, study that it has been done on the strength of diversity in companies, because I think there's a lot about how stock prices do better, EBITDA is better, you name it. So I think everybody does better. The more diverse, the more diverse, the better. The, the, you know, the day, I, I think of how far we've come as a business from when it was just, you know, a bunch of dudes on a trading floor. The, you know, if you get too, if you get too embedded in one way of thinking, you're doomed. I think that's, that's a big part, that's yeah. a big problem. One right. of the, um, one of the things I'm most blessed to be involved with is a, is a, is a nonprofit called the Greenwood Project okay. here in um, Chicago. And it is a nonprofit to help underprivileged kids find their path in financial services. Uh, well, that's awesome. It's, it's really amazing. They place hundreds of interns, they call them scholars, and they carry them all through high school and follow them to college and help get them placed in careers. And we've had a few of the Greenwood Project interns here at SIBO. We actually have an alumni, alumnus from, from the Greenwood Project that now works at SIBO. It's just a fantastic, fantastic uh, organization and group. That's, that's something really to be proud of. That's, was the SIBO involved in it before you moved to Chicago, or, or is this something you found on your own? I can't take any credit for it. We have a great uh, team here that runs all of our charity and fundraising, and it's called SIBO Empowers. They've been working with this group for a while, but we've become um, financial donors, and, and I'm lucky to sit on the board now and, and get to see all the great progress that they're making. Well, I, I for one, will be looking this up when we're done with the call. And Please I, do. I, I encourage... I encourage everybody listening to do that because that sounds phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, in a city like Chicago, to get every, to, the more people you can get involved, the better. How would you like to finish it up? Because you know, the, 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 I'm going to throw this open to you. What what have we missed, or what do you want people to know? I'm glad we got in the charity thing before we ran out of time. So please, if there's anything that you want to add before we before we kind of wrap it up. You know, I can't think of what we may have left out. I mean, okay. I think we cover a, a long, except to say that good luck to Dave Eglett. He has to follow us. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's how I'll leave it. Well, good luck to good luck to him, because this is going to be a tough one for him to follow. And, <laughs> but, you know, you had to follow you had to follow him once. Now he's got to follow you and it's going to be a lot that's harder. Right. Well, you know, and all credit to I got to give Dave a shout out. He, he took a, a chance on me. Because uh, I had no idea what was happening on that trading floor, but maybe he saw something in me. Uh, and he, he took a chance on hiring me. So uh, I do have to give Dave Eglett a shout out for giving me a start in the in, in this great uh, financial services field. Yeah, I think, though, the rest of the credit can go to you for running with the shot. So I think we'll we'll okay. we'll, we'll leave it there. That's a great right. that's a great way to wrap it up. For all of you who've been listening, thank you so much. As you know, my, my guest has been Catherine Clay, EVP at the SIBO. Um, and I hope we get a chance to do this again. This was a lot of fun, Kathy. I'm so happy you had me on. Thanks, Steve, so much. Okay, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Trading in digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, is especially risky and is only for individuals with a high risk tolerance and the financial ability to sustain losses. Eligibility to trade in digital asset products may vary based on jurisdiction. 